0: The latest scandal is all about jackets.
1: There is an issue of the inflated price, there is uh, a question about quality, and there is a really big question of potential corruption and conflict of interest.
0: No fun time for, for the Ministry of Defence. And it's not the first time, actually, that uh, the communication by Mr. Reznikov is disastrous. The defense minister was just caught lying, publicly lying. Ukraine is not unprecedentedly corrupt, and uh, it's not uh, incomparably corrupt. This is simply not true. They are sending us us to death, uh, all the while stealing public money.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Anastasia Lopatina, and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Kyiv Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about yet another corruption scandal inside Ukraine's Ministry of Defense. I'm joined by the KUM Independent Investigative Reporter, Danilo Mokrek. Danilo, welcome back to the show. I'm
0: glad to be here again.
1: So, Danilo, the last time we did an episode about corruption on this podcast was basically three months ago. It was with our colleague Alex Sukhov, but it was an entirely different episode because with him, um, it was about Ukraine's deeply problematic judicial system. With you, however, we want to talk about uh, specifically the Ministry of Defense, basically one of Ukraine's most important institutions right now amid a war. And also, unfortunately, the institution that's been under heavy criticism for corruption again and again. So what happened... This time, what is this latest scandal all about?
0: Well, the latest scandal is all about jackets that, uh, the ministry of defense has bought, um, in Turkey, Turkey. And, um, it turns out that the price of those jackets for, for, for the army tripled while the jackets were traveling from Turkey to Ukraine. So the Turkish invoice says that um, a piece costs 29 U.S. dollars. And when the jackets arrived in Ukraine, the, um, the Ukrainian invoice says that, um, that the price is uh, 80, $86 uh, dollars a piece. So uh, that's quite spe- spectacular. It raises questions. And there were also other questions pertaining to um, the weight for example, of those jackets, because they only weigh slightly above uh, one kilogram, which um, makes some people think that they are maybe not winter jackets as specified in the documents, but uh, actually summer jackets for the army, or that they are of a very low quality so um, there's this question and uh, finally, there's a question that, that there's a whole big question of conflict of interest because uh, it turns out that uh, one of the founders of the um, so-called Turkish uh, enterprise that procured the, um, the jackets for Ukraine um, is actually a nephew of a Ukrainian member of the parliament uh, of, from the Servant of the People Party. Uh, which is, uh, uh, who is also a member of um, uh, the Committee of Defense and uh, National Security. So it raises a lot of questions and it has given uh, way to a big scandal, actually.
1: And how, how did we learn about all of these revelations?
0: We did, uh, thanks to uh, Ukrainian investigative journalists. So um, the first uh, journalist to publish... Those uh, Turkish invoices and the first journalist to talk about the the procurement was uh, Yuri Nikolov. Uh, He is already quite famous because of his previous investigations um, concerning the the Ministry of Defense Mm -hmm. and um, its procurements. Um, And others joined too. There was the the issue about the the nephew of the Member of, of Parliament. Um, It was a story by Mikhail Utkach, one of the best known Ukrainian investigative journalists.
1: Right. So there is an issue of the inflated price. There is a question about quality and there is a really big question of potential corruption and conflict of interest. So when all of this comes up, how does the ministry react to all of this? What do they do?
0: Well, that's that's a scandal uh, in its own right actually, because at first, uh, the defense minister, Alexey Reznikov, he just flatly accused uh, Yuri Nikolov of lying, um, saying that uh, this Turkish invoice uh, was just a fake, Uh, which uh, it turned out not to be, because um, there is a parliamentary inquiry commission, and um, it's had confirmed that the documents were legit. The next thing Oleksiy uh, Reznikov did is uh, uh, he well suggested a bet to uh, Ukrainian investigative journalists saying that, well, if it turns out that the Ministry of Defense had actually bought uh, summer jackets instead of winter jackets, uh, he would uh, leave his post. And uh, if not, uh, if it turns out to be, to be a fake, So, um, Mikhail Lutkac should leave journalism for three years, which is, uh, well, mm, obviously a matter of PR for for Alexei Reznikov. Uh, It's a a show communication to him, but it's uh, it's not funny and uh, it's... (laughs) and uh well it's just not something you can do can allow yourself to do when your country is at war when 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 ukraine is going through everything that we know it is going through it's um it's of a very poor taste to say the least
1: you mentioned that there was an inquiry by a parliamentary commission can you tell us a bit more about that because it seems like that it's not only some very well-respected journalists that are accusing the ministry of corruption, but it's also not necessarily their own people, but it's also the politicians. It's also the lawmakers that are saying, hey, like this looks legit. You probably did something wrong here.
0: Well, there are several um, several commissions like that in, uh, in the Ukrainian parliament right now. Uh, one of them is um focusing not only on the ministry of uh of defense but on um economic crimes uh more broadly and the head of that commission actually confirmed that the turkish invoice with uh, uh, the price three times lower for for the jackets um was legit but uh the the sad thing is that the minister the defense minister Alexei Reznikov, had been invited to, um, to this commission seating and he did not come. He sent his uh, deputy minister. Um, th- it, it's sad because it would be really interesting to see his face um, when the, the, the authenticity of the document is confirmed. And he accused in an interview broadcasted like uh, nationwide Uh, the journalists applying. So uh, the important thing to say is that we do not know for sure that uh, the defense ministry actually paid for winter jackets and got summer jackets. We don't know that for sure. We have some indications of that. So we are asking questions. Uh, We also, we are not sure that um, the actual price of those, uh, those jackets is three times lower. Maybe it's not a matter of inflating the price. Maybe it's a matter of uh, tax evasion, for example. That may be uh, one of the options too, one of the, uh, something that explains it. But uh, uh, given the, 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 the entire range of the questions raised by this uh, procurement, it's no fun time for, for the Ministry of Defense. And it's not the first time, actually, that uh, the communication by Mr. Reznikov is disastrous.
1: And while well, we're going to come back to the Ministry of Defense issue, of course... I want to also ask about the the party, the Servant of the People party, which is Zelensky's party. It's the governing, the ruling party. Um, What's their reaction? I mean, they're also supposedly involved because of their lawmaker and his mysterious nephew. So what's the reaction there? How do they explain this?
0: Well, it's a big party and they have a lot of members in in the parliament. So uh, they are often very different. They differ in their opinions and in their behavior too. So there are some that are highly critical of um, the defense minister, and then there are some that are um, more critical of uh, Ukrainian investigative journalists. So uh, it's a bit divided. Um, But the issue is very serious because um, the member of parliament and we are talking about, his name is Henari Kasai um, and we are talking about him and his nephew, one of the founders of the Turkish um, enterprise. He is, he is very connected to um, a Ukrainian businessman, politician, and uh, a well-known person, Vyacheslav Bohuslaev. Um He is himself being prosecuted right now for high treason. So uh, he is not someone who has Ukrainian, uh, Ukraine's best interest at heart. And uh, that, again, that adds you know, to, um, mm-hmm. to, to, to the problems with this, uh, with this story.
1: So as ridiculous as all of this sounds, of course, what's even worse is that this is not even the first time that this kind of corruption scheme related to procurement has happened inside the ministry, right?
0: Yes, we had uh, something that was called an egg scandal uh, at the end of last year. Uh, the issue was, um, again, the same investigative journalist Yuri Nikolov um, published some documents uh, stating that the defense ministry actually bought eggs for, for, for the army for uh, 17 Ukrainian hryvnas, which is like... Um, 40 uh, uh, US cents, something like that. Uh, it's maybe a very low price for the United States or uh, the European Union, but it, it is a high price for, uh, it, it is a very inflated price for uh, Ukraine. And the thing is that at that time, um, the defense minister, Alexey Reznikov, uh, again, flatly denied the accusations, said that it never happened, that the documents were manipulated, that they were uh, misinterpreted, that there never, never were any eggs for 17 hrivenas. And finally, as a few months passed, we got official confirmations that actually uh, that was true, that the defense ministry was uh, was buying or going to buy eggs for 17 hryvnas. And uh, again, the defense minister was just caught lying, publicly lying. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's not the first time. And that's remembering this story um, is why I said that it was not the first time that um, his communication was disastrous.
1: So maybe let's explain... A bit deeper and kind of in a very obvious way for people, why things like this, specifically with procurement in Ukraine, happen and 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 like what's the step by step process here? So the the way that this happens is that some sort of state governing body, an institution, sign a contract with somebody who's usually like their person, a the company of somebody they know. There is a shady deal being made, and they end up. Spending more money that they could have, Mm -hmm. and the difference between the actual price for Mm -hmm. which they could have paid this, they could have bought this fairly, and the price that they end up paying, um, that difference goes into somebody's pockets. Right? Is is that how this usually happens? And this is a very popular scheme. Like this isn't a one and a kind situation. Like this happens everywhere. Right?
0: I would say. I would say that when we talk about corruption in Ukraine, uh, it is the scheme um, the, the corruption scheme, uh, in Ukraine, uh, you know, generally when we say corruption, we think about bribes and stuff like that, something very mundane, but, uh, actually the government procurements, um, are the, the, the main source of, uh, of corruption in Ukraine. We have had some progress, um, in that domain, um, since, 2014, I'd say, um, it has become progressively more and more transparent. And um, actually, before the full-scale war started, uh, we got used to all the information about the public procurements uh, being public, so transparent, all the documents should be published. But the full-scale invasion changed that because now everything, uh, not everything, but a lot of procurements pertaining to the army and to uh, national security issues, et cetera, et cetera, um, are not open to public. You cannot see what is, what is being bought, what is being paid for. And that opens, well, some very big doors for, for corruption.
1: Um, this leads perfectly into my next question. Do we have any systems, specific systems in place that filter through state spending like this?
0: Yes, we do. First of all, we have um, Prozoro. It's a um, it's an online platform that uh, actually accumulates. It's the only official platform you uh, the, uh, the government entities and the local entities um, should use to publish their um, procurement announcements, so that you can see what are they looking for, how much are they willing to spend uh who is uh sending their proposal their commercial proposals etc etc so that you can verify it all and uh, the system itself has been a a great source for investigative journalists in ukraine for for years and years now another thing that we have uh, is a platform called spending.gov.ua so Uh, It's a platform when you can basically just choose um, the uh, entity, uh, the the state entity or local entity of uh, your choosing and um, look at its spendings so you can see when uh, it paid for what it paid Etc. Etc. So we have quite a lot of uh, you know instruments of transparency in Ukraine, which are very useful. The sad part being that mostly only journalists use them. So um, the the general public is not very much interested. You know into. Uh, uh, not very much interested in looking into uh, those spendings procurements uh, reading the documents uh, comparing the documents um, investigating the um the participants of those procurements et cetera et cetera so um the instruments are there, but for them to be really efficient, a much bigger interest from the general public is required
1: and i think there is also the the question of the efficiency of anti-corruption bodies too because it's Does one one to... step is recognizing that there may be corruption another part is doing something about it yes. right and actually on that note is anything happening with Bereznikov now like is the government i mean like the president's office or the ministers or logmakers, is there some sort of push to investigate this, to punish this, um, other than like the Facebook feud that Dresnikov has with journalists?
0: I wouldn't say that I see a willingness from, uh, a, a political will to, um, to hold Dresnikov accountable, if not for some very strange procurements then at least for his lives for his public lives he still keeps occupying his post so um i i I would i'm not like optimistic about that i see no sign but uh in general again uh we have we have had some some considerable progress in ukraine um in the anti-corruption domain um, during the years leading to the full-scale invasion, for example, we have this uh, um, high anti-corruption uh, court, which is uh, for now, which has for now a um, quite a good reputation, and uh, has already uh, convicted uh, more than one hundred people. One hundred officials in Ukraine of, of corruption. So, uh, you know, it may sound like baby steps, but they are important baby steps.
1: What I think a lot when I see some of these candles come up, especially in the defense sector with the defense ministry is, um, just the terrible and dangerous effect it may have on our morale. M- morale of the entire society, but also specifically the morale of soldiers and people who are on the front line, because... Or
0: potential conscripts.
1: Right. Too Yes. Um, because, you know, from the conversations I've had with people who are currently fighting, it really doesn't help when you spend your days in a trench and, you know, you think you can die at any moment and then you read that, you know... Uh, Kind of like your really high up bosses, like the defense ministry are doing some shady things like this.
0: Yeah, so basically, um, I'm hearing that quite a lot too. The idea being, well, those people, meaning the uh, defense ministry, they are sending us to death, all the while stealing public money. So, uh, it doesn't really give you motivation to fight and uh it gives a lot of people an excuse well not to to feel like protecting their country is not their business it's a perverse logic but it it does exist yeah and uh to me it's the worst thing actually now with the with the corruption in ukraine because we know logically, and it has been proven historically again and again that during wars, corruption does not diminish; it grows. It always grows during wars. But when you're in it, inside the, the context, you still like expect it to be almost extinct. You know, corruption. How can you steal? Uh, Public Money again, public money, those are taxpayers' money. Uh, how can you do that when your country is going through such such sufferings and such ordeals? Uh, still, it does happen, and it, it, it gives you serious blows to, um, to your morale morale so uh, yeah that's, that's the main problem the main problem here. Uh, it's not about money, it's about how we feel uh, as Ukrainians. Um, there's also a question of, uh, of propaganda, because while well, there are a lot of people all over the, all over the world that uh, are just waiting on, uh, on any possibility to talk about how Ukraine is absolutely corrupt, uh, and uh, I just yeah. want to emphasize that is not so. Ukraine is not unprecedentedly corrupt, and uh, it's not uh, incomparably corrupt. That is simply not true. Um, corruption exists in every country. And, well, if you look at the last uh, Transparency International uh, Corruption Perception Index, well, you can see that Ukraine is far from being the last country and on um, that rating. And that during the last ten years, uh, Ukraine has shown some really serious progress. It has gained, if i'm not mistaken um, eight points during the last um, ten years. so uh, we are progressing slowly but steadily, and uh, well, if you look, Russian propagandists like to like to talk about how Ukraine is considerably considerably more corrupt than, than, Russia, which is simply not true. Again, you just, you just open the, uh, uh, the, the TI, uh, corruption perception index, and you can see that Russia is way below, uh, below Ukraine.
1: I mean, the other side of this is, as you've already mentioned, the perception and how that affects the situation, because many people worry that if Ukraine doesn't take care of this, at least publicly speaking, uh, it really may impede the flow of Western aid to Ukraine. Do you worry about that? uh
0: well, I do. Um, I do, and uh, to me again, it's one of the main issues right now um, about corruption in Ukraine because Ukraine needs Western help to uh, survive. I think we all understand that. and the more reasons we give, or our our government gives, to doubt the uh, I don't know viability of that help. Uh, the less chances we have of surviving, because we are still right now fighting for survival, no less. And uh, well, <laughs> if we have corruption scandals like that, and uh, and they lack of political will to deal with it, with it so uh, we can lose, we, we are losing our, cha- our chances of survival just naturally because, well, no one, no Western taxpayer would be happy to hear, well, we are helping Ukraine, but you know, Ukraine is corrupt, but we are still giving your money to Ukraine. No, no taxpayer would be happy. So uh, the good thing I can say about it Is that Ukraine does have quite a vibrant anti corruption uh, civil society, anti corruption part of of the civil society, and uh, it develops really its um, anti corruption infrastructure uh, in terms of um, institutions. And uh, Ukraine does have quite a lot of. uh, excellent investigative journalists focusing on corruption. Again, if we are, the the, 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 the fact itself that we are now talking about mm, those scandals in Ukraine, uh, well, proves that we have freedom of speech and proves that we have uh, journalists that are um, competent enough to discover all of that and... Uh, courageous enough to talk about that. And well, they keep doing their job. So uh, that gives you something good about Ukraine too.
1: Zelensky actually suggested something, I'd say quite radical this week, uh, which is making the crime of corruption at the time of war legally equivalent to treason, state treason. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? I mean, first of all, why would he do this? And how was this proposal received?
0: It was not well received in my bubble, at least. Because first of all, uh, the issue with uh, corruption and, you know, corruption, crimes and, and punishment is not the uh, severity of, uh, of punishments. It's the inevitability of, of the punishment. So uh, it doesn't matter if it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, or, it's, or if it's life. Uh, the issue is whether the punishment is inevitable. It is not today in Ukraine. So what's the difference if uh, you're not punished with five years, 10 years, or life? It's, that's, not, that's not the problem. Legally, Um, this whole idea would allow the transfer of a lot of cases that are currently under the jurisdiction of the National Investigation Bureau, um, excuse me, National Anti-Corruption Bureau, uh, transfer them to, um, the security service of Ukraine, which is much less trusted SBU. The SBU, which is much less trusted, Mm -hmm. which is much less independent, obviously, from the government.
1: And as far as I know, has been accused of links to the president's office, right? Oh,
0: uh, accused. President always nominates the head of the SBU, so uh, it's not really, you know, a, a real problem. The real problem is that it is very much controlled by the president's office.
1: You can say that, Yes.
0: Uh, And uh, the SBU, sadly, uh, does have a history of uh, burying um, some serious criminal proceedings concerning corruption, taking them from, for example, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau and just, you know, burning the case. So uh, uh, we have had cases like that, and that's why... We and by saying we, I mean the uh, I mean Ukrainian investigative journalists um, interested in uh, in uh, corruption or anti-corruption. We are not happy with this idea at all because we would not like to see uh, this transfer of of jurisdiction.
1: So this basically looks like a PR stunt for Zelensky, something yes, to say we- to the West.
0: Yes, maybe. Uh, I don't know if it's for internal, uh, internal use or external use. Uh, but again, the problem is that I can see no upside to it at all, like no, no efficiency. But I can see some serious downside. <laughs>
1: We're now gonna be moving to some questions that we we'll got from the members of our community. Uh, as always, I'll take this time to remind you guys that it's really easy to support the Cube Independent by going to kyivindependent.com membership. We have our very own membership system. There is an option for a one-time donation and also different tiers of monthly support for as little as $5 a month. And all of our members get really cool perks like access to exclusive events, discussions with editors. There is also a Discord server that we have for all of our members. Um, and also the newsroom. And you guys can talk there, shoot us questions. Of course, our favorite perk is the fact that um, all community members get a chance to send us in questions before every single episode of the podcast. And we try to answer and incorporate as many of them as we can. So one of the questions this week was, um, who actually tracks the expenditures and conducts audits of all of these procurements that we discussed?
0: Well, first of all, uh, I have already mentioned uh, the investigative journalists. So um, the fact that those procurements are meant, at least in theory, to be entirely public gives you the uh, instruments to, um, to analyze them and maybe publish investigations about them. Then uh, there are a lot of uh, organs in, uh, in Ukraine that, um, have for, that have for their task to do that. I have already mentioned the National Anti-Corruption Bureau. They monitor those things too. Not only them. There are government institutions tasked with it. Uh, There are investigative journalists that are also following it. And again, uh, there's the general public, which, as I have said, for now is not um, as interested in it as it should be. Uh, But there's hope that... uh, I think it's the main, actually, the, 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 the main possible source of progress in Ukraine, that if or when the general public starts to follow those procurements on a regular basis and vastly, that can change the, uh, the situation with corruption in Ukraine.
1: So it looks like there isn't like one body or one system or one website that does it. It's, it's many of these different bodies, which is maybe a bit problematic, right? Because it's, it's hard to follow through. With everything
0: there's no general rule in ukraine that only this institution or that body is tasked with um, with audits of uh everyone else as uh, it's it's um it's quite complex um there are institutions that have uh for example external audits and some others that don't there are institutions that uh uh have uh you know like observers and then there are some that do not so um yeah it's it's complex it's uneven and uh it doesn't add to um to the transparency but also it doesn't add to the understanding of the general public of 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 how it actually works um so yeah it's, it, there's, there's a lot to improve when it comes to, um, to audits in Ukraine.
1: Another question that we got is quite interesting. Uh, the person is asking, do the motives for committing corruption often go beyond economic and into political slash ideological?
0: Well, I have not uh, personally met people uh, that are Corrupt by conviction, so uh, that make it like their proud lifestyle of it. Um, but we do have a lot of cultural and I- ideological roots for corruption in Ukraine, because you have to understand that during decades, um, Ukraine was ruled by the Kremlin. I mean, during the times of the USSR and um, the government itself was viewed as something external, as something that is not here to help you, that is not here for you, that has no connection to you. So the best, the best thing you could do was to avoid it and maybe harm it. So corruption may be viewed a bit romant- romantically as, you know, a form of protest against the government. But, um, and I know, I know some, some historians and some philosophers who actually say that, they, they, they state that, well, that's why Ukraine has this cultural uh, leaning to, um, to corruption. But personally, I do not, like this idea. I do not agree with this idea. It seems more like, you know, playing with thoughts than uh, actually analyzing reality to me.
1: Well, Danilo, thank you so much. As always, it was very interesting to listen to you. Thank you. Also this week, the Pope was heavily criticized for his address to the young Russian Catholics, where he told them to uphold the heritage of their ancestors, heirs of the Great Russia, including Tsars Peter I and Catherine II. Ukraine's government said that Russia is preparing a new wave of mobilization and occupied Crimea, planning to mobilize up to 30,000 people and call up to 10,000 previously conscripted soldiers. And Ukraine liberated the village of Robotyna in Zaporizhia oblast and began advancing south-east of the village, Ukraine's defense ministry confirmed on August 28th. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please also consider supporting the Ku Independent so we can keep doing what we do by going to giveindependent.com membership and also following us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.